Bibles with you this evening. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tonight. He's working our way verse by verse through this most interesting book. I've never been through a series on Ecclesiastes, and so when the Lord asked me to do this, I was like, okay, we will. We'll do this. And by the grace of God, we have and will, and Lord willing, we will finish it. We're in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14 uh, this evening. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Starting in verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, the day of death, than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For as the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart, sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, the heart of fools in the house of myrrh. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the songs of fools. As for the crackling of the thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for all that we've seen and heard already, the songs that we've sang and the gifts that have been given, Lord, the fellowship that we've had. And I pray these next moments, Lord, as we consider your word, I pray again that you'd give us ears to hear. Lord, you know the hearts of each individual in this room. You know where each individual is spiritually. Some, maybe on the beginning of the path, maybe many more possibly towards the end of the path. And maybe the ones who are younger may be towards the end, and, and those that are older maybe even longer. We don't know. All we can know is we trust you and believe in you. And we know we have your word this perfect, this, this provided for us. And we pray, God, that tonight that you just help us, Lord, to understand it better than when we walked in here. Give me wisdom, Lord, and the ability to communicate. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a... Uh, legend that I've heard that originated, I believe, in the Far East, and it goes a little bit like this. A wise old Chinese woodcutter lived a rather humble life in China, right near the troubled Mongolian border. One day, his favorite horse, a beautiful gray mare, jumped the fence, galloped away, was seized as it crossed the border into Mongolia. His neighbors and friends came to him and tried to console him about his unfortunate development. He responded, it might be bad that it ran away but it might be good for some reason. We just don't know. 
Sure enough, a week later, the woodcutter looked out his window to see his mare galloping back home beside a magnificent stallion. As he put both horses in the barn, his neighbors came to admire his good fortune, but he said, it might be good that she returned with the stallion, but we don't know. The next day, the man's only son decided to ride the stallion, and it bucked him off, breaking the young man's leg. Back came the friends to sympathize over the such, such bad news. The woodcutter said it might be bad news, but it might turn out to be good news after all. Within a month, war erupted within China Mongolia, and the Chinese officials came to the village to force all able-bodied young men into service. All of those young men perished in war, except for the woodcutter's son, who couldn't serve in the army because of his broken leg. The truth remains where this where, le where legend becomes reality for believers, life is filled with the unexpected. What you might think is tragedy in your life might be the greatest event that ever happened to you in your life. Well, you could probably think of events that have happened to you in your life. I know we would not be here tonight if we didn't candidate in a couple other churches and they say no. Now, at the time, we didn't wonder, why do those churches say no? Well, we thought it might be God's will for us to be in Ohio or Wisconsin or Georgia or some other place. But now we know God had a, had a reason and a purpose for it. You probably were in a couple relationships in the past. I've said to you before, I was engaged twice before I met my wife. And in both those disengagements, it didn't feel too good. But you know what? Now, I know God has a purpose in things. And what may seem at the very moment to be terrible could be a triumph. Or what may seem to be a triumph could be terrible. The question is, are we willing to trust God when the good is going on and or the bad is going on? The reality is, we're going to go through times of good, and bad, and sometimes even neutral. But what are we going to do during these times? Solomon, of course, the author here, talks about some advice that he's trying to give at this very end of his life, some better advice. And actually, 11 times in this chapter, he's going to use the word better. So this evening, I want to give you five statements of advice from Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes to help encourage us in our Christian life where we are right now. Let's look at the first one, if I can get it to work. Well, Does it come back up? It might be bad. It might be good. <laughs> no. It was working earlier. Oh, my first bit of advice, delete Amazon account before prom day. 
try to save all y'all some money. <laughs> now it's too late. You spent all your money. <laughs> I figured y'all need to laugh. No, advice number one, if I can get it to go far. Now, I can't get it to go any further now. You might have to do it for me, brother. Oh, it's died. Oh, try it now, brother. No? Okay, well, I don't know. But we'll keep going, right? First advice, advice number one. Contemplate your character and casket seriously. Look at back at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. So Solomon uses contrast to prove two points. First of all, our name or our reputation is far more important than the ointment or what we look like outwardly. Jesus oftentimes dealt with the Pharisees, if you read through the Gospels. What was the Pharisees known for? They were known for hypocrisy. They looked good on the outside, but as Jesus said, they were filled with dead men's bones. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but within full of extortion and excesses. The Pharisees had a horrible reputation because outwardly they looked clean, but inwardly they were wicked. And dear friends, we got to be the same. We have to be careful. Is appearances matter? Well, certainly they do. First Samuel chapter sixteen verse seven. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on the countenance or the height of the stature, because I refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh at the heart. Now man looks at the outward appearance. So, so, so and, and whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, should we do all to the to the glory of God? So our appearance appearance matters. But more than our appearance is our character. Our character. When people think of you, do they think of honest, trustworthy, loyal, faithful, hard worker? What do they think of you? What is your reputation in your family? What's your reputation in this body of believers? Your character. That's what counts. That's what counts. But secondly, the completion of our lives is more important than our creation. You see, folks, it's easy to start something, isn't it? But it's a little more difficult to finish something. How many of you remember the Super Bowl several years ago where the New England Patriots fought the, the Atlanta Falcons? Remember that? With, with two minutes and 15 seconds left in the third quarter. Thank you, brother. With two minutes and 13 seconds left in the third quarter, the Atlanta Falcons were up 28-3. to We thought it was all over, but we, they forgot. They had Tom Brady. And what Tom Brady did? Well, he does what Tom Brady always did. He came back and won the game. It wasn't how they began the game. It was how they finished the game. Think about these people who, here who had character, these signers of the Declaration of Independence, men who gave their very lives so we could have the freedom that we enjoy today. They weren't men just simply who dress well. They acted well. And sometimes we get too caught up in the, the outward instead of the inward. But think about men who did not end well. Think about Lot. What was the last act we see him doing? Committing incest with his daughters. Think about Jonah. 
That man who preached that short sermon who had revival, but yet the end of his life as we see it, he's sitting under a juniper tree bitter at God. Think about Judas, a man with such potential and talent and education, probably the most educated and talented of all the group, yet at the end of his life, he hung himself. He hung himself. But think of a man like Abraham. I mean, he made some mistakes, didn't he? he? He said some lies and had a relationship with Hagar when he should have waited on God, but he ended well. Think about David. Oh, we know he made some horrible mistakes, but he ended well. Think about Peter. Uh, he denied the Lord Jesus and cursed, but he ended well. It's not how you finish. It's not how you begin. It's not if you fall down because every Christian's going to fall down every once in a while. It's how you end the race. I hope you purpose in your heart, every one of us, by the grace of God, to choose it, friend. And it's not just a one-time choice. It's an everyday choice. You must get up every day and by the grace of God say, I'm choosing to end well. See, if you don't choose it at the beginning, you won't make it to the end. If I didn't start out in the parking lot of Turkey Creek, I'd never made it to North Gainesville Baptist Church. It starts someplace and it ends someplace. Determine in your life not to look at the rest of the family or the rest of the church, but to look at Jesus Christ who is the author and finisher of our faith who finished well. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. James chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. Second bit of advice, not only contemplate your character and casket seriously. Secondly, commemorate your trials confidently. Think about, remember, your trials. Think about your difficulty and ask yourself, what can I learn when I'm going through this difficulty? Because Solomon, on the inspiration of Holy Spirit, says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For it is the end of all time, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the joy of sadness is the countenance his heart is made better. The heart of the wise is the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools in the house of mirth. What would we know about Joseph or David or Job or Paul if they did not go through troubles? I mean, when you're going through troubles, let me encourage you. Start reading through the book of Psalms. Just start reading psalm after psalm after psalm and you'll see the sweet psalmist of Israel going through trial and trouble from his father-in-law Saul from his son Absalom for distress and pains and sorrows and difficulties but he yearned and cried out to God in all his trouble oh how we need to recognize in times of trouble it's, it, it, it helps us, though we, we, we despair in that trouble, though there's depression in that trouble. When we go through trouble, different from going through trials, those are times when we get closer to God in life. I talked to a lady just recently, and she said, seven years ago, if you asked me if I really trusted God, I'd have said yes. But the troubles and trials that I've gone through in the last seven years make me to realize I really didn't know what trusting was all about. 
You see, we say, we quote, trust the Lord with all thine heart, lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy heart, thy paths. But dear friends, saying it, but living it is two different things. When you have to trust God because you do not have the rent money this month, it's different than saying, well, I got a job and I know the paycheck's coming in. When the doctor just told you you have cancer, and you're not going to live very long. That's a whole lot different trusting than when your friend says they have cancer or a church member has, says they has cancer. When it's you who now has cancer, when it's your child who's going to have to have an operation and the doctor doesn't know whether they're going to live or die, that's a whole lot different when you hear about it on the prayer request on the prayer sheet. Man, it's a whole lot different, isn't it? When we have to trust God through the trials, but through the trials, that's when we truly trust God. Think of what Job said. Job 23, verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The deeper the trouble, the sweeter Jesus becomes. The deeper the trial, the more precious Christ becomes in our life. How precious is Christ to you? How precious is he? Number three, choose your companions cautiously. Now, oftentimes we preach this message to youth, and we should. But it's not just young folks should have the right companions. It's all of us should have the right companions. The Bible says here in verse 5, It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools as the crackling of thorns under a pot. So is the laughter of fool that is vanity. What Solomon is saying, he says, Rebuke from a wise person is better than spending time with fools. A fool is somebody who doesn't believe in God. The Bible says about a fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, corrupt are they. They've done abominable iniquity, for there is none that doeth good. Psalm 53, verse 1. You see, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Helping another brother or sister in Christ is not just the preacher's job. It's all our responsibility to help one another, to encourage one another. Friend, when you see someone, if you saw someone walk out of this room and started heading towards the road like they were out of their mind, I hope someone would say to themselves, I think that person's lost their mind. I'm going to go help them before they get in 39th Avenue. You say, well, I'm not, some people say, well, I might offend them. Well, dear friend, if they're dead, how are you going to offend them? Some people are afraid to tell somebody, a relative, about hell. You afraid to tell somebody about hell? Dear friend, there's not a second hell. There's not a third hell. If they die and go to hell, and we never told them there's a hell, what good, what good is not telling them? Oh, man, it's not, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. We need to tell them the truth. Aren't you glad when you go to your doctor, you pay him, and you pay him a lot to tell you the truth? You pay him to tell you what the honest truth? Yeah. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 5, open rebuke is better than secret love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Your best friend is someone that loves you enough to tell you the truth. And if somebody comes up to you and tells you the truth about yourself or your kids or your family, be, be gracious and kind enough to take it. Because few and far between enough people have friends enough to actually come up and tell them anything. Because we're so afraid of offending anybody nowadays because everybody wears their feelings on their sleeve. You say one little thing and they get mad and get upset and quit everything. They take their ball and the bat and go home. Well, dear friend, the best thing is for you when somebody cares enough about you to love you enough to tell you the truth. Thank God for somebody on April the 15th, 1989, who told me there was a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, and now I'm going to heaven forever. He wasn't afraid to tell me about hell. I'm sorry, I got a little excited. But I'm glad today that that poor, that dear friend, that evangelist who's still preaching, Brother Van Gelderen, didn't say, oh, those teenagers down there, they don't want to hear about hell. I might offend them if I preach about hell. Dear friend, think about the souls in heaven today that got preached, that, that heard the gospel and heard about hell. Oh, hell, fire, and damnation preachers preaching that used to go, people from evangelists used to go across this country like Sam Jones and Bob Jones and many God-blessed men from the past, Gypsy Smith and others. Wow, think about the people in heaven. They didn't worry about, well, let me, let me lift my finger and see if everything's okay. They didn't say, well, I wonder what the temperature is. No, they just said, thus saith the Lord, and they preached it. They just preached the truth. Now, yes, we should speak the truth in love, but still speak it, friend. You say, well, man, if I say that to somebody, they may get offended. They may never be my friend again. Dear friend, better to, better to do it. This is just what it said. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That word wounds means something that hurts a lot. Better to you to go somebody who you see go astray and say, hey, I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth, and wound them than to let them go astray and destroy themselves and not say anything at all. Better to wound them than let them go off into wickedness. Dear friend, what type of companions do we have? The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walk with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Spend your time in the book of wisdom, spend your time with wise people. Get away from those wicked folks who all the time all do is want to do is complain about problems, complain about this, complain about that. Oh, my friend, stay away from those type of folks because if you don't, you'll be complaining too. Get away from those folks who gossip. Get away from those folks who tell bear. Get away from those folks who always have an excuse for doing anything that's right. Stick to doing what's right and stay with people who's doing what's right. You say, preachers, not too many with them. Well, stick with them. If you have five friends in this lifetime, you've got more than most people ever have. Stick with the people who want to do right and live right. Number four, cultivate your character wisely. Surely oppression maketh the wise men mad, and the gift destroyeth the heart. Don't allow, first of all, pressure and pleasure to damage your testimony. What do you do when you're tempted to do evil? Do you cut corners or choose to do what's right? Do you compromise or follow the truth? Do you say to yourself, well, 
Everybody else is doing it. Verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing, the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Do you find yourself having an anger problem? Well, how was your drive over to church tonight? I tell you what my temptation is to lose my temper on 43rd Avenue. That one lane road that's 55 miles an hour that those wonderful, poor, blessed souls drive 55 miles an hour in. <laughs> Woo! I've lost my testimony there a few times probably. But I have to remind myself, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance, which is self-control. Against such there is no law. But dear friends, as the days get darker and the days are going to get darker, physically and spiritually, we're going to be tested about our character. We're going to be tested about our patience. Don't allow pressure and pleasure to damage your testimony. And not only that, look at verse 10. It says, Say not thou, what is the cause that former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Don't spend all your time focusing on the past. Focus on today and tomorrow. A lot of time, time, times I meet people. And it's, 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 it's good intentions. Oh, how things were better yesterday. And things, a lot of things were better yesterday. But dear friends, I can't do anything about yesterday. All I can do is about today. I cannot change yesterday one iota. I hear sometimes preachers preach, oh, people got saved all the time last yesterday. And oh, thank God for how people worked yesterday. I praise God for the testimony. But I can't be always focused on the past. I have to focus on the future, the present and the future. I have to go forward. If I always look in the past, I'm going to trip up and not go forward in life. I have to go forward in life. Praise God. Oh, man, would you say, well, you said we, we could get, get frustrated and say, well, things used to be bigger and better and greater. Do you know for a Christian, dear friend, your best days are ahead of you, not behind you? Your best days is ahead of you, not behind you. So don't focus so much on yesterday and how things used to be. Oh, enjoy the memories. Remember the lessons that you were taught in the past, but be consumed with today and the future. Don't let yesterday hang you up for what you could be doing in the future. Thirdly, Solomon is delivering a warning that, that they were receiving an inheritance is good, but without wisdom, that inheritance is more likely to, go, to destroy that person's life. Verse 11, wisdom is a good with inheritance, but by it there is profit to them that see the sum. For wisdom is defense, and money is defense. But the excellence of the knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that haven't. Solomon doesn't say that inheritance is a bad thing, but if you get it and get it without any wisdom, it will wind up destroying your life. Sometimes the best thing in the world for us is to stay broke. Because some money would destroy people. It would mess them up. It messed their family up. Some of you say, well, I sure would like to try it, preacher. <laughs> but 
but all of us know some folks. You put a little money in their hand, it burns a hole in their pocket. They're down to Goodwill or Best Buy or somewhere before the day is over, and it's spent. They don't have the clue about saving 101. They ain't got it, and they never will get it. That's just how they are. That's just reality. And number five, consider your creator carefully. Consider the work of God, for we can make that straight which he hath made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God also has set the one over the other to the end that man should be fined after, find nothing after him. You see, the reality is you go down some roads here in this old country, like in Nebraska and Kansas, and they're just straight as can be. They just straight, and you can go for mile after mile after mile straight down the way. Then you go some of these roads here in the southeast, especially in West Virginia and Virginia and Kentucky and northern uh, Georgia, Tennessee. They're crooked as a dog's hind leg. They're just crooked. You, I mean, if you try to stay straight, you're going to go in a ditch. You've got to be paying attention. You'll, you'll be off in the ditch somewhere. And you know what it is? Just like that. There's ups and downs in life. There's going to be days where you're going to be up, and it's going to be the greatest. It's going to be the greatest experience, the most wonderful time. Then there's going to be times where you're down low, as they say, lower than a snake's belly. There's going to be times of both. The question is, how are you going to deal with both the ups and downs in life? Well, then, friend, let me tell you, God is still God in the up. And God is still God in the down. He's in both places. And you see that in the Apostle Paul in his life, how he dealt with things when he was out preaching, but dealt with things while he was in prison. And he could say, even in Philippians, when he was in jail, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me because he lived for God, not just in the past, not just in the present, but the God that he looked forward to seeing soon in the future. And yes, he had good times. He was abased. He abounded. And sometimes he had bad times. He abased. But he trusted God through all of it. And dear friend, that's what you and I are going to have to do. Through the ups and downs of life, realize God is there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's going to be there for you all through your life. Remember these things. Oh, got the high yellow. Forgive me that. But contemplate your character and casket seriously. Commemorate your trials confidently. Choose your companions cautiously. Cultivate your character wisely. And consider your creator carefully. Those are five statements of advice that will help you throughout your life. I was reading about a man, an evangelist, a preacher, name was James George Young, excuse me. He was a carpenter during the week and a preacher during the weekend. And he preached a sermon that somebody got mad at. Can you believe that? And while he was out helping some folks, doing some carpentry, he came back home and somebody burned his house down, destroyed his house. This was 1903. And all the sermons he had, we're gone. All he had left was one song, and it goes like this. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. 
Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. May that be true of us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Oh God, help us to trust you, to love you, to follow you in the good times and in the bad, in the high moments, on the top of the hill, in the mountains, but way down in the valley. You are God in the mountain. You are God of the valley. May we trust you. May we obey you, Lord, every way. With head bowed, eyes closed, maybe someone in this room say, Preacher, I'm not a Christian. Maybe you made a profession of faith when you were young, but you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dear friend, you can trust in Christ tonight. You can be saved. You can walk out of this place. Maybe you came in doubting. You can walk out these doors being sure. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ is your Savior, dear friend, you have to recognize you're a sinner. No way you can save yourself by being good or being a part of this church. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're not saved tonight, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Tonight you can be saved. You can be sure. You don't have to worry about, does God care? Does God love me? He, the Bible says he does. He'll save you tonight if you'll only trust him. If you're not saved, I beg you, during the invitation, come. And I'd love to take a Bible. If you're a man, if you're a woman, my wife will take a Bible and show you how to be saved. But if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you say, Preacher, I'm struggling. Maybe something that I mentioned, maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you gently tonight about an area, maybe something you're struggling with. I don't know what it might be, but whatever it may be, you say, Preacher, tonight God has spoken to me about something specifically. There's an area in my life I need to deal with, I need to change. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all this evening?